The goal of this show is to help healthcare organizations scale by leveraging real estate strategies and interviewing high-level healthcare executives who are actively in the trenches in order to pull out lessons learned along the way. If you'd like a free site selection analysis from our team, or you'd like to learn more about how we're acquiring real estate through our fund on the blockchain, visit us at www.reuniversity.org and drop us a line. That's RE as in real estate, university.org. Well, moving forward, we are going to be breaking up our podcast recordings into two episodes, starting with this one. And I'm really excited about this interview with Ryan Mingus because we dive a lot into how interest rates have finally made their way through the markets and are starting to really compress multiples. So it's an interesting time for sure. And without further ado, please enjoy our episode with Ryan Mingus. Hello, welcome back to Helping Healthcare Scale. I'm your host, Austin Hare. And today I'd like to welcome our guest, Ryan Mingus. He's the Managing Director at Tusk Partners. And Tusk is a lower middle market healthcare M&A advisory firm with a specialization in dentistry. And Ryan, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Austin. Yeah, similar to seeing you at the DEO the other day and hearing your story, it is always funny to hear how people get into the <laughs> world of dentistry when they aren't dentists. But that being said, so I, I started out as an economics and finance major in undergrad, but graduated in 2008. And when I moved to New York City to work on Wall Street, uh, there weren't as many jobs as I had hoped for. So this was right. I- so yeah. Let's back it up a little bit. We'd just love to hear your story about how you got into all this, because I, I always find everybody's got like a fascinating and unique story. Right wife, after the GFC or right in the middle of the, the great financial crisis. Yeah, I was yeah. actually up there chatting with a, an alumnus from my school, just asking for pointers and just getting the lay of the land. And it was the day that the market crashed like 780 points. And he was like, wow. hey man, in 85, they jumped. So when you walk out of here, we were on Broad Street down near Wall Street. He's like, he's like when you walk outside, be careful and look up. No so, way. Yeah. It was, it was so this is how long into your career? Like how many days had you been working there? I hadn't worked at all. I, like I had a job. <laughs> I had a job with Bloomberg when I like in probably May, right before graduation of 2008. And then was moving to, to New York in June to start. And before I got even to New York, they pulled the job. So I was just determined to move there anyway. So finance is the route that I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Sales is always hiring and it's a great skill set. So I got a job with Johnson in their medical device division in the, it was all five boroughs, Long Island and Connecticut. And that's how I fell into healthcare by way of sales. Got trained up by J&J in their sales school and went that route. Then I ended up working for a company that owned surgery centers, ambulatory surgery centers. They were a client of mine that I was repping in. And that's when I started to get a real feel for how the healthcare system works, like what the real business is behind the healthcare system. Um, ambulatory surgery centers were you know, largely payer-based, but there's a large fee-for-service element, so it lends itself well to the dental world. And it was higher-end work and you know, out-of-network things like that. So I never really got into the nitty gritty hospital system world. It was consumerist like healthcare. And then went and got my MBA. And after that, really focused on the management consulting side of healthcare, did ambulatory surgery center, M&A, mergers and acquisitions for about four years, and then found my way into dental because I started to see the writing on the wall with private equity coming into the space and this was probably 2016, found my way into dental. So I've been at Tusk now for 
four years here in this role. I've been in dental for about nine years total, eight years total, and focused purely on, on mergers and acquisitions, representing sellers that are interested in partnering with private equity-backed DSOs. Or um, we've had the fortunate uh, pleasure of representing a couple of people that were, were, quote, platform opportunities and anywhere between four and $10 million of EBITDA that warranted an initial investment from a private equity group to form a new entity, a new DSO. So we've done a lot of those deals over the years as well. So that, that's my background and how I got into dental. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you got started right there in almost like the worst time I like, gave your career. And then we've seen that twice, I feel like, in the past three years. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. It feels like when we had the lockdowns, I don't want to say COVID because it wasn't really COVID that caused all the craziness. It was really the lockdowns. So like when we had the lockdowns, then we saw all the, the markets corrected or pulled back, what, 30%, over 30%, and everything just paused. And that felt like the recession that people had been calling for a long time. But then they cranked the the spigot on, printed a ton of money, lowered interest rates, everything just shot back up. And then yep. they did the exact opposite at the end of 21. And then that correct, like from 21 to like, I guess maybe like November of 21, I think is when they announced the hikes or the interest rate hikes. And it was like this kind of like slow, drawn out, painful process for a year and a half versus like COVID which is like a straight down thing. But the reason I bring it up is because does it feel like the same thing to you, like being in the thick of it or just getting started in 2008, but like yeah. comparing then to now? Good question. I never thought about it. I don't know if I knew enough back then to even know what signals were out there in the ether for me to draw from to in this situation. I don't. And from what everybody tells, for all that I've been consuming when trying to understand the landscape right now is this is not the foundation in which this this tumultuous market is on right now is much stronger than the foundation of the tumultuous market that 2008 was sitting on there were a lot less bank regulations back then that ultimately allowed for much deeper cuts into the financial system specifically the banking system which is the largest contributor to the volatility that we experienced in 2020 or 2008 rather and, and that doesn't appear I'm not, don't quote me that I'm just, I'm reading the, the, the clip notes of everything that I've been consuming. And it, it sounds to me like we're not at risk of, of this really deep recession that the foundational system right now, the foundation in which this recession is teetering on is, is much stronger. And hopefully we get that soft landing or, or no landing at all. Yeah, obviously it's impossible to predict these types of things, but you made an interesting comment off camera that I've stated as well, which is when the where the public markets go, private markets follow. And we saw that happen to the T back in really much 22. I remember having the same conversation as, hey, look, the public markets have been just getting crushed, but the multiples are still at all-time highs when we're looking at dental acquisitions specifically. And so do you think it's there? Think it's going to follow suit and sure enough it did and i'd just love to get your take on so you've been in this what is it nine years now you said yeah yeah like where were we at the highs and how has that changed to now yeah going to go back to the the public markets follow or the private markets follow public markets we started to see things 
the, our economy take a hit in you know, 2022, late 2022. And we've been feeling it most of this year, more or less. Um, at least all been worried about this recession to, to hit or take root. And we started seeing the dental world last year. There were a couple of DSOs, call it anywhere between 50 million to $250 million worth of EBITDA, a handful of DSOs that fit in that range that went to market that were not rewarded in the same way that they expected to because they were they had in their mind valuations that, that groups were getting in 2021. To answer your question, the highs were 2021. It was the perfect storm of low interest rate, pent-up demand on the buy side, really performing businesses on the dental side, especially in the orthodontic space with the boom of of adult orthodontics in the Zoom era when folks started working from home and started staring at themselves on, on camera all day long. Everybody wanted Invisalign um, <laughs> and they had the disposable income to do it. Orthodontics in particular had like the best year ever in 20, late 2020 through mid 2021. So just perfect storm. So the high- Did, did that drop off like to, back to baseline in the, the orthodontics space? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Gage is a platform that sits on top of a practice management system, has put out some data from 2022 that shows meaningful decreases in orthodontics nationwide on average, right? Everything's an average. So I'm sure there are winners and there were losers, um, but most of that was attributed to drop off in adult ortho spend from 2021. Mm. Okay. That be said, 2021 was the highs and just because it was that perfect storm, and then you've got 2022 is when the interest rates started to really creep up. And, yeah. and that has that impacted deals at the top end of the market, those 50 to call it $250 million worth of EBITDA DSOs that are going out that are trying to capitalize and find their new private equity sponsor. People that thought they were going to get a 15X were coming back with 12Xs. And some limited partners or investors were like, we're not going to take that. We'll just wait it out until multiples go back up and to be determined whether they ever get back to 2021 but i would not be holding my breath just because that feels like a once in three lifetime <laughs> opportunity for somebody to just a perfect storm like that yeah yeah and it makes sense if you think about cost of capital going up and deal fall like price average multiples dropping by 15 percent because it, would, it wouldn't completely offset the interest rate hikes, but it gets close, right? In terms of when you're financing these deals, you get a 15% reduction in price. Does that kind of, does it come pretty close to offsetting going from 4 to 8% interest rate or not really? They, they are not just, multiples haven't just compressed a little bit, but also the structure of the changes. They, let's say a deal is a million dollars of EBITDA, somebody offers them, this is 2021, let's say, they get a 7X on that for easy math and okay. their lender lets them put six times leverage on that deal for cash. So they're going to put $6 million worth of cash at close on that deal. And then the, the seller is going to roll, you know, a million dollars worth of equity into that DSO. Now with the cost of capital going up, maybe now they're only allowed to put four turns of leverage mm. on that. So if they want to keep their multiple the same, their cash at close goes from six sevenths cash at close to four sevenths cash at close. 
And in which case, yeah, you, they, they, they maintain the same valuation multiple that got them to the seven, seven million dollars of enterprise value or seven X. But it went from being the vast majority in the form of cash to just over 50 percent coming in cash. So that's what buyers are doing to in addition to lo lowering their multiple. They're also decreasing the percentage of cash at close to reduce the amount of leverage they have to put on the deal. So in that specific example. We, I think you said a million dollars in EBITDA. It's selling for a seven X. So they were able to essentially get six million in cash, which the sellers, the buyers, finance borrowed from the bank, and then they would roll a million dollars worth of their equity into the parent company. Is that? And then now it's you have to roll. You get four million at closing, which is borrowed from the bank, and then you're rolling three million dollars into the parent company. Is that's like the difference? That's an example that we've seen some buyers. Or really, it, it would be less than that. It'd actually be, yeah, you get might get four million and roll. You get you wouldn't even get the full seven million. So before it was like if you got seven million, you'd get six in cash, roll up one. Now you're only yeah. gonna get what six million, and then that would be three in cash. Yeah, yeah. Roll if you drop three. the multiple by fifteen percent. Now you're only getting a six X and not all of it's coming in the form of not as much of it is coming in the form of cash. And then the other thing too, so those are the deals that are getting done. And the other thing we're seeing in commercial real estate, and then I'm involved in residential and short-term rental real estate as well, is just the sheer volume has dropped so much. Residential real estate sales are down 40%. Commercial, I think, commercial is very segmented. There's a huge difference between retail, help, like what we do versus multifamily, apples and oranges. But there's still a huge drop in volume of sales. And so it's you've got, it's just, it's hard to really gauge what the, price, like where the stabilized price will be because by one end, yeah, we see prices reduce a little bit, but by the other end, there's still a ton of people that are just holding on and not selling. And so the question becomes these people who are not selling, we're talking off camera, the phrase, how long can you carry the piano, right? If you've got, if you've already, if you're a residential, you've already moved and you have two mortgages now, how long can you carry the piano? Yeah. You list your house for sale. You want to sell for a certain price. You're not getting it. Maybe like you take it off market and that's, it's been about a year of like really a little bit more really heightened interest rate hikes. So you've now been holding on to two properties for a year, hypothetically, at, at what stage do you start to drop that? Uh, do you start your, your price in order to sell or do you simply hold on to this asset and rent it out because you got a great interest rate and, and same thing in dental real estate. Like you're not going to get the same price that you got a couple of years ago. We've seen, we haven't, we've seen maybe 10% uh, a drop in prices. So not really not far off of what you guys are seeing on the M&A side. Mm -hmm. And the, what's working in the favor of the sellers is that if you don't have a distressed tenant, then you don't need to sell if you don't want to. And so you can continue to hold that indefinitely. So it's okay. We've got a huge drop in sales volume. So there's a lot of deals or a lot of uh, assets sitting on the sidelines that haven't sold yet. The question is, is there enough pressure to sell? ever, right? Or is it a situation where these people can just continue to hold forever? And so I only bring it up so that we can get a gauge. Do you, we don't really know where the stabilization is. I can see a case for us being close to the bottom, you know, but maybe not fully there. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are from the M&A space. Yeah. I, so there are certainly people, if you have a, the difference between our world and, and real estate is like these people are operating cash flow positive businesses, right? And we're going to represent them. They're probably pulling down 
after they would have paid themselves a clinical wage, 20% EBITDA margins on really top, top assets. Specialists, oftentimes a lot higher. We've seen just, so these people are running businesses that are turning off a lot of cash. Generally speaking, not a ton of debt on these businesses um, relative to the debt service doesn't kill them. Now, the groups that have grown really fast and have six locations and you know, got out over their skis, they're in trouble. But the people that have a great asset that are not, not in a rush to sell, I don't think that they're missing out on anything, but I don't necessarily think that they're going to be rewarded for waiting either because I don't anticipate multiples ever getting back to 2021. And if multiple, so you, we, we've, we've stabilized, today, in your yeah, opinion. I, they, things have begun to stabilize. I think 2024 is the year of like buyers and sellers having to come to terms and close the gap to get deals done. And perhaps sellers are, take, are, are eventually going to get comfortable taking a number lower than what they expected to take because they're anchored on a number that is just never going to come back. But I do think that there's always going to be people out there that, if they want to sell their business and they want to maximize the valuation and selling to a DSO is their only option because they've created such an attractive asset and an expensive asset that no solo doctor could buy them out because we do not do doctor to doctor transactions. A DSO is their only option. Those people are still calling us because they say, Hey, I want to sell my business. I want to be done in five years everything I've read and talked and all my peers that I've talked to said that they're going to require a five-year employment agreement because I'm a pretty meaningful clinical producer in the business. I might, if you're telling me that markets likely aren't going to go back up and if they do, it's not going to be still not going to be back to 2021 levels. I might as well get the ball going right now mm. because still premium valuations for premium assets right now. Thanks for listening to part one of our episode with Ryan Mingus. Part two will be released here in a couple of days. If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.